0: Hello and welcome to episode six of the Sports Leadership Podcast. I'm your co-host, Kevin DeShazo, along with Mark Hodgkin. Thank you guys for listening, for reviewing and rating the show on iTunes, for all the comments on social media and email. We truly appreciate you guys taking the time to listen and to share it with your friends. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about uh, one of our favorite topics, and that is social media. And we're going to look a little bit at what we where we see social media going in 2017, especially as it relates to the sports industry, some trends that we're noticing, and then also how you can use social media in your career, not necessarily to advance your career, but how you can use it to add value, to benefit, um, especially in the in the sports industry, what, what, why you should be using social media and how that can be valuable and beneficial both to you, to your organization, and to those around you. Mark, how are things going? Things are good. Happy 2017 to everyone.
1: Can't believe uh, football season's over, but uh, in the midst of basketball and
0: and uh, happy to have a new year going. Absolutely. Actually, for as much as I love college football, uh, college basketball is my all-time favorite sport. So we are right in the swing of my favorite part of the year. A lot of travel coming up, which is super exciting. Going to be a really busy semester. Uh, Mark, let's talk about social media in 2017. And And it feels like from my perspective, as much as everything changes in social media, which it feels like it changes every day, uh, on some level, it's almost kind of always the same. And what I mean by that is that we've kind of settled on the big four in terms of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Some would say Snapchat. I still have arguments and debates there. Uh, but you also have to throw YouTube in, I suppose, as well. Even though I don't know if I consider that a true social media channel. But those those have kind of Submitted themselves as the main players. Other apps come and go, but those apps continue to evolve, and they continue to add new features, and they continue to try to adjust to to grow users, to maintain their user base. So, what are some things that you see happening or see um, in the space in in 2017, especially as it relates to the sports industry?
1: Yeah, you know, I think the the interesting thing as we as we start 2017 in the social space that I'm, I talk a lot about this, and I think a lot about this, and I think it's I think it's going to be the conversation is going to be picking up as kind of the the Twitter versus Snapchat um, conversation, and how how those will be, I don't know, weighted or or prioritized, especially in the college space. I think I think we have some shaking out to do there. Um, I think you know Twitter is a is a tremendous platform. It's how Kevin and I know each other. It's how um, you know it, it's it's incredibly beneficial. But I think it's going to be interesting to see with their user struggles and with things like that, you know, are Snapchat going to become kind of the the number two platform? I think it absolutely has the chance to, Um, I think it's, it's a hard one to understand. It's a hard platform to understand. I think Twitter as much as it can be confusing to new users is fairly simple. Um, I think Snapchat It's trickier, It's obviously, and it's definitely trickier for brands, um, and I guess we would call most sports um, networks and teams and organizations brands for for this purpose. So um, I think that's going to be an interesting one. Can Snapchat get into the quote-unquote mainstream in the sports world? Um, I think the pros, it's very close. Um, I think college, it's coming. But um, I think it'll be very interesting if we compare this to January 2018, where we're at then.
0: Yes, I, I think all great points. I think Twitter has always been a frustration for me, not as a user. It's my, my favorite platform, and, and maybe only Instagram comes close. Twitter, I have a career because of Twitter, not just because of, of, of how student athletes use it maybe inappropriately, but because of the network that we, that we have on Twitter. That's where you know, I, the Fieldhouse has a, has a, uh, a Facebook page that I, I truthfully don't care about. I post maybe once a day there. Only because I feel like if you work in social media, you have to have a Facebook page, um, but my audience is not there. I, mean, I know athletic directors and people in the space are obviously on Facebook, but the conversation around what we're doing all happens on Twitter. So it is, it is by far my most valuable platform. Uh, personally, I still think there's value organizationally. I think it's really interesting. Twitter, for all the, all the negative media uh, that comes out, it is an incredibly valuable platform that may be a terribly run business. You could argue that there's not a platform that's more culturally important or relevant than Twitter. We rarely see on the news, hey, so-and-so said on Facebook. It's always so-and-so tweeted. Um, every now and then, it maybe we saw this on Instagram, but, but, but a heavy majority of those conversations uh, it, it happen on, on Twitter. It is where people go real-time. It's where people get news. They've actually changed uh, their classification in the app store now. They're no longer a social network. They're a news app, which I think is smart. Even though it is a social platform, that's where people go to get to get news. And so I think there's still value there for organizations. Um, nothing I don't in, – in the next, gosh, five, maybe ten years, I don't think anything will come close to Facebook. Uh, we all love to hate on Facebook, and personally, I, I'm on board with that hate. I rarely use it. It's just not a platform that matters to me. Organizationally, Facebook is just such a monster. Everyone is there. Kids are still there. Teens are still there. Young adults are there. Your parents are there. Your parents' parents are there. It is the platform. Whatever your niche, whatever your industry, everyone's there. It's the greatest advertising tool in history. In terms of cost, I mean, uh, you can you can run an ad on Facebook and pay twenty bucks and reach eight thousand people who actually want to see that ad, who need to see that ad. Ticket sales, uh, whatever it may be, nothing. Nothing in a long time will come close to Facebook. I would I would actually put Instagram at number two right now. For brands, it's such a powerful platform. Visuals matter. You know, we've talked about that before. We're such a visual culture. There's so much you can say with pictures that you, it's difficult to put into words sometimes on Instagram. A picture can stand alone without even a caption. Uh, Instagram stories, I think, could be a really interesting play for brands. They need to figure out live. Uh, you've got Instagram Live right now. It's just really, really kind of sketchy and awkward. Um, but with Instagram being being owned by Facebook and the power that you get from the back end being owned by Facebook, I think Instagram announced recently they now have 600 million users, which is twice as many as Twitter. Uh, and Snapchat never gives user numbers. When they do, they're probably false. Um, we've seen 150 million daily users. So let's say they're at 200, 250 million users. I don't know. Instagram is still two to three times the size of Snapchat, which is fascinating. um, Given Snapchat's growth, Instagram has been right there with it. And so on a personal standpoint, personal perspective, Twitter is is still tough to beat. But for brands, I think this is a a year that Instagram really takes hold. I think Snapchat is still so difficult for brands in our research of of college athletes. They just don't want to follow brands there. Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think it's like 10 or 11% of college athletes follow a brand on Snapchat, whereas 70, 80, 85% follow brands on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. In our sessions on campus, that's a question we ask. How many of you use Instagram or use Snapchat? Every hand goes up. How many of you follow a brand? Maybe two. And so I think it's such a tough place. It's a personal, it's a messaging platform. Uh, and they've made it, Snapchat has, has Purposely made it really hard for brands to do well there organically. They want you paying for filters. They want you paying for live stories. They want you paying for a Discover channel, which obviously people in the sports space that we're talking about, you know, athletic departments are not going to pay for a Discover page on Snapchat or Discover channel, rather. Um, so they have made it really difficult for for brands to succeed. You don't know how many followers you have. It's just a really difficult difficult place to to, to work. Um, even though every every young person is there, I think Instagram is such a more powerful platform. So I think, I think 2017 might be the year for, for Instagram. I think those are great points.
1: Um, and I think you know, Instagram has shown, to me, that they're very good at getting products to market that make sense, that are intuitive. And you know, yes, many of them feel like blatant ripoffs of others, but everybody's kind of copying everybody in the space. But I think they've been able to not only get users, they've got a great product, they've made it approachable. They've adapted to user trends. They've adapted to things. They seem like they have a plan, which I think is my biggest complaint with Twitter. I don't see the the plan that I see with those other three that we're talking there. You know, I think Snapchat, you're right, very deliberate, very um, intentional with what they're doing as far as brands. They don't want it to be overrun. Facebook kind of took the opposite in their earlier parts and, and got everybody there, and then they'll turn on the, the advertising spigot, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a force. I, I think... Facebook, yeah, everybody, we kind of all thought it was not dead, but everybody kind of grags on it, whatever. But, you know, those ads I, I agree with you. They're still incredibly affordable and there's a, an enormous value that's hard to, to match. Um, but those Facebook ads you talk about, and they're adapting to other things. Um, there's a good article out there that I, I tweeted out earlier this month about, um, it was a follow-up to that teenager's view that made a lot of waves a few years ago about how he saw the social media channels and, you kind of talked about how Facebook, yeah, it's your parents and grandparents platform now, but there's also a new kind of weird Facebook um, culture out there. People kind of using Facebook for fun videos and almost using it. Like we would think of maybe a year ago, YouTube being used. So Facebook obviously proves that they're obviously still a force and, and will always keep churning and it'll be interesting to see what they do now with these mid roll ads um, that they're talking about. And, um, can they make that, you know, they, they're in a great position because they have, and I see it, especially in the college sports and I'm, I'm right in the middle of it with my new, new position of, um, I, I can't remember a, uh, an organization that people would willingly give all their content to and ask nothing in return. And, uh, that's Facebook live. It's amazing to be in a position like that as a business, but they are right there and it'll be interesting to see if, if that
0: continues. Yeah. I think Facebook, they've made so many smart changes for, for such a massive company. Right now with uh, 2 billion users or whatever the number is, I mean, one in seven people on the planet are, are accessing Facebook every day, which is just mind-blowing. But they've done such a smart job with the way they've, they've generally rolled things out. I think they've done a good job with lives. The things that I've seen there from brands have been pretty high quality. Um, with users, it's just pure chaos, which is to be expected. Their instant articles, I love. Though I prefer to read an article, an instant article on Facebook than any article and maybe anywhere else on the web. They're just so visually appealing and so easy to consume. Uh, I know a few a few athletic departments have have played with those. I know Arkansas was at some point. I don't know if, if they still are, but it's such a it's such a easy win and it's a transition or a shift in mindset because we're so used to pushing everything to our website. Right, the end the end goal is to eventually drive people to your website. Where now, I mean, on some level, Facebook is your new website. And that's a, that's a potentially scary proposition for outside departments who are selling ad space on their website, all these different things. And I'm not saying, you know, fully that that has replaced the, the website. But I think some people could, could make that argument on some level that we're getting all the information that we really need right, right on Facebook. and We're doing ticket sales on Facebook and merchandise sales on Facebook and game recaps on Facebook and videos on Facebook. Ads coming in now is that they just announced. I mean, it's essentially a commercial, right? Like you're going to watch two minutes of a video and then you're going to see an ad. So it's going to be a commercial. Users don't want that. But I, I don't know if that's more or less annoying than a 30-second ad at the beginning. Uh, of, of a Facebook video. I think live is going to be a really tricky thing this year. And I, and I think you're right in that, that Twitter, for as much as I love it, they've been really they've been shipping a lot. But I don't know that a lot of what they've shipped makes a ton of sense. Um, and truthfully, I think the the platform itself, from a feature standpoint, is fine. People keep comparing it to Facebook. It's not Facebook. It's a completely different – the psychology of the platform is completely different. Maybe going public was the worst thing they ever did. Uh, now mm-hmm. they have to meet all these demands of, of Facebook's. Um, stock price of Facebook user, user growth. It's like, no, let's let Twitter be what Twitter is, but they keep rolling out. So they've, they've essentially shut, not shut down Periscope, but now you can go live within Facebook, which, or excuse me, within Twitter, which is a smart thing. They've got live programming now with NFL games. They just announced the PGA. They're going to do, uh, I believe some March or some, some college basketball games. I know I think Campus Insiders have, have done some basketball games, uh, which I, you know, generally I think is fine. It's been an awkward experience to be honest, watching, watching sporting events on Twitter. And it's, and you know, their goal is not to be your first screen. Obviously it's, it's when you're, I don't know, on a road trip or in a plane on an airport at a restaurant, whatever it may be. And you can't be at a TV and you can watch the game. It's been a little bit bumpy. I think they'll figure some of those things out. They've got financial um, shows that are streaming on, on Twitter, but I think they have to focus on like what's happening now. Like that's the, that's the value of Twitter um, and I think live could be a big part of that. I think the, the issue with live as it is with every new feature that comes out on every platform is that teams and programs do it just for the sake of doing it. Like they're going live just, just because they can go live or they're doing an Instagram story just because they can do an Instagram story without thinking what's the actual platform uh, that we're working with, what content works on the platform, why are we going to tell this story? And so I think regardless of what changes come out and, and new features on platforms, They have to focus on on what their story is and how that fits the psychology of each platform in a a unique way. There's been a lot of hate spewed at Instagram for copying Snapchat. What do you think about Instagram's overall strategy?
1: You know, I think Instagram, much like Facebook, um, is developing a pretty good reputation, at least for me, as somebody who makes the right moves when these things come up. I think the way they took the homepage of Instagram – and inserted of those the the stories at the top is a, a just a beautiful design experience and a beautiful user experience that's completely unobtrusive, completely unconfusing, if that's a word, and uh, you know, completely intuitive. I think it's it's been fantastic. I agree with you. It it kind of has that line of mass appeal but also appealing to younger people it's visual it's video yeah i think live is you know right now it's probably the the weakest portion of of it but i think that'll come i don't think that's a a a huge drawback nothing i'd be really completely worried about i think i think they've been on point i think they've they've been making all the right moves they haven't tried to over um you know overdo it with what they are um i think they've they've been consistent they have that growth and um i think they've done a, a an incredible job overall, uh, kind of like you talked about, you know, when you mentioned Twitter and I, I think they're totally a company that needs to figure out what, what they are and where they're going. The Facebook comparisons are completely unrealistic. And, you know, I, I think there's a big difference between what's right for the platform and what's right for, you know, wall street, um, as that goes. And and right now it just feels like they're, they get beat up for everything. I've had plenty of, of concerns about it. I think, you know, you talk about the, the live thing. Um, I think there's two things that have to happen. I think they need to be able to have content that's that's unique, that can't be watched for other places because, um, you know, there's just not a ton of value right there. And I think they can understand, you know, are they a, are they a streaming company or are they a Twitter company? I, I, the example I'll use is I put the the app on my fire uh, stick for my TV, Twitter app, to check out the NFL thing. Can't send a tweet from it when, it, when I installed it. You know, you, you think about what their platform is. Fine, I get it on my big screen, but... I can't send a tweet and I can see this curated thing. And they've told, they've said they're going to fix this the stream. So you can have a, have a, um, a valuable feed of either your friends, your followers, your favorite team I think there's tons of potential there, but right now I don't want to see some random Twitter user with 50 fans talk about his you know fantasy team when I'm watching Thursday night football. It doesn't doesn't have value, so they need to do that. And the other thing I would throw in there uh, that you talked about, kind of the idea of Facebook as your website now and, and website in the future. And full disclosure, I obviously work for a company that that does websites, and I do not think, um, even though I have heard plenty of people who I you know respect in the space think that maybe websites go away someday and we're all on Facebook. And that absolutely is is possible, you know, down the road. We don't know what kind of company Facebook will be in five years. It's certainly a different kind of company than it was five years ago. Um, and, you know, I only see it accelerating. So don't really know, but I think giving up too much of your content today, um, whether it's it's website content, it's video, it's live, you're at the whims then of another company. And I think that's something that we all just need to at least take a pause at in the, in the sports space of realizing that Facebook doesn't work for you. You work for them, and well, I think it's an outstanding company. I think it's a huge value. I, you know, I have nothing bad to say about them. Um, I think you got to be careful to not chase the eyeballs and the, the impressions. That you know, I've been in that seat and I've done that, where you can show your boss, look at these millions of eyeballs and millions of, and it's those analytics can be thin, they can be inaccurate, as we've seen from almost every social platform um, who struggled with some some inaccuracies. But um, you also have to remember that you know your content has value. And you need to always protect that. And you always need to be thinking about that of, you know, if there's a change made that I can't control, am I still in a position to to monetize my content, to distribute it the way I want to see it? Um, I, think, I think it's worth pondering, worth thinking about, um, because we're, we're not quite there yet. I think, you know, that's why in other industries, maybe I think college sports, um, I think everybody does email, but I think you see some of the bigger brands um, in the uh, you know, the business world and the consumer brands sectors, uh, that email is just showing them a great return. Um, you're having information, these people who have opt in, you know, you might not have the vanity metrics and you might not have a, uh, a tweet that gets 5 million viewers, but you know, you can get some real value and some real activation with targeted, intelligent email marketing. And I think I think before too long that we'll see even more of a return in the college side, um, which is where I, I work most directly into this being, you know, huge, important, uh, uh, thing that we're doing. So, um, it's definitely fascinating. It's right saying we could talk about <laughs> all day.
0: It is. Yeah. I and mean, which is what we do, you know, for the most part, which is, which is nice is that, you know, there's always something new in social media. There's always different perspectives. And the beauty of it is that nothing like nobody is, is wrong or right in social, which I think is, is really difficult people to, to grasp. Sometimes we'll have our opinions, um, but none of us are necessarily right. It's what works for us personally, or it's what works best for our brand. Uh, but I think you did make a good point on Facebook as your website in that there's always significant value in like, have, having your space uh, because on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, whatever platform pops up, we are, um, the product. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they own us. We don't, we don't get, and they can do whatever they want. And, and so having your own space matters. And, and so I, I would agree that <clears throat> while it is such a valuable space where eyeballs are, um, chasing eyeballs, which is what a lot of people do can be a really dangerous thing, which is why I've always been a proponent of be great on a few platforms than being average and chasing fans everywhere. And there's always this discussion of, oh, well, we're not reaching fans on, like young people on Facebook. We need to be on Twitter. Well, they're still on Facebook, but then you don't reach them on Twitter. Ah, we got to reach young people. We need to be on Instagram. Well, okay, well, you're still not reaching them on Facebook or Twitter, and now you're not reaching them on Instagram. Well, we need to reach them on Snapchat. Well, maybe you're just bad at social media. Like, maybe you don't know how to create content that young people actually care about, and the platforms are not the problem. And we need to, to reevaluate and have honest conversations with ourselves about the content that we create, about our overall strategy, about the story that we're telling and making it relevant. Uh, I think you also hit on a great point with Instagram. Part of the huge value of it is as they've rolled out these features and, and copying Snapchat, whatever it may be, Instagram has been really smart, and they've, and they've acknowledged, like, look, we thought Stories was great, so we we decided to implement it. Like, they're not hiding the fact that they're implementing features from other platforms, which is what's you know what happens all the time. But their user interface and their experience is makes so much sense. Instagram might be the easiest platform to figure out. From, from a user perspective. Um, because you can, you just open it and you take a picture and you never have to say anything if you don't want to stories at the top makes so much sense. Um, because you still see your main feeds. You don't ever have to watch a story if you don't want to. Um, and so I think even with the algorithm, it's been a little bit awkward at times, you know, I'll open up I'll Instagram at three o'clock in the afternoon and I see a final score or a pregame post from the day before. So it's like, Thirty-two hours before I, I see a post in my timeline, so that can be a little bit awkward for the sports industry. So I think you realize you know, how you have to play with that that algorithm. It's not so much of an informing platform as, as a Twitter might be. It's a lot more entertainment. It's a lot more emotion. Um, so you may have to rethink, you know, pregame graphic, halftime graphic, end of game graphic, because people are going to be seeing. It. And maybe you want to expand the eyeballs, but you may have to rethink how you do those. Putting those in stories, I think, has been great for people. Um, where you can now swipe up and direct traffic straight to your website, I think is huge. You can do the tease, check out these three pictures, and see the rest of the top ten pictures from the game, swipe up, you know, whatever it may be. I think Instagram is just they continue to make really, really smart moves and they've they've done it at a snail's pace. For a long time, we've all complained about how slow Instagram was, you know, rolling out Um, Multiple accounts, which was Mm -hmm. like, that should have been like day two (laughs) of what they did, but they've been really fairly slow, but also really, really intentional with what they've done. And it's working. And I think it's great how it's actually what you're talking about is
1: forced kind of a return to the strength of the platform, which is really, really great images. I'm scrolling through my feed right now. And I'd say even less than Six months ago, much less graphics, or uh, you know, like something you would put with a lot of text on it and a lot of treatment, or you know, score post game graphics you put on a Twitter score or whatever. I think getting back to that, the image and the video is 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 healthy. I think, like you said, you it's time for most people to have a real honest conversation about are they putting good good content out? Are they are they just trying to, to put the same thing out on everywhere? And and we've definitely crossed the threshold in the last year or two where, okay, everybody's on social media. Everybody understands its value in college sports. Everybody understands that it's it's important. Nobody's saying, nobody's doing this, but now it's, it's more than just being on it. It's it's crafting your story to each platform, and you know the ones who do it really well and the ones who don't. It's it's easy to see. Um, I agree with you. I think Instagram's doing the right things, doing uh, doing very interesting. I don't see many complaints about them now. They're being intentional. It makes sense for their platform, which
0: is never a bad idea, in my opinion. Totally agree. And for the brands and the teams that we've worked with just saying link, check the link in bio. Like that seems like I don't click those. So that seems counterintuitive, but that's been really successful for brands and teams that we've, we've worked with this driven a significant amount of clicks. And I think it's tough for us, for those of us who work in social media to realize we are not normal people. Like we are not your average social media user. Our habits are not like the habits of everyone else. And so we have to, we have to understand the fan and their behaviors and step out of our own biases, step out of our own perspective, um, to see to see the bigger picture. Now let's shift into how how do you social media in your career? What value it's added? How you can use it uh, to bring some benefit to yourself personally, uh, and obviously professionally. But and how that can also be a benefit to your organization? What are some ways that social media has has been specifically valuable to your? career? Yeah. You know, it's been, it's been very valuable. I think in the most direct
1: um, way um, when I was hired here at New Line, they told me one of the things that really attracted them to me was, was my social media presence. And the fact that I have for what we do with decent amount of followers, I'm engaged in the conversations. I know the right people. Um, I'm thinking about the industry issues. We want to be a thought leader as a company. We want to be a consultative company. We want to be you know, in that space. So that was you know a very direct, very recent thing for me to, to help me land you know, this job and I think I think there's a lot of stories out there if you talk to people who use it the right way and you know it's not about just avoiding the embarrassing and the negative, stupid thing when you're a professional, you know, but you do and I'd love to hear your input on this as far as student athletes and building that brand when they're young and, you know, immature. But hopefully people started a career won't be doing too many dumb posts, even though it keeps you in business that they do and it's it's uh it's still amazing when I see it and we see it almost monthly. But how do you take the next step to be showing value and being, okay, this is really who I am on social media is who you would get in your office nine to five every day or whatever hours you've worked. I think that's the most important thing when you're kind of building your own personal brand on social. How do you also
0: take it to, Hey, this guy's interesting. I'd like to hear more of what he has to say. Yeah. And that's what we talk about with, with student athletes, same with coaches and administrators. It's not just the, Hey, don't be an idiot. Right? Hey, don't tweet this. Don't post that. Don't screw up. Don't use profanity. Don't be vulgar or sexual or whatever it may be. And, and you would think that'd be common sense. It's not. So we do have to have a little bit of that conversation of, of hey, these are the risks of, of, of what ha- this is what happens when you use it inappropriately. And especially with young people, defining what inappropriate means. Because inappropriate to an 18-year-old is completely different from what inappropriate is to a 45-year-old. And so saying, look, you think your audience is your friend's. Um, your college friends, your high school friends and you're you're telling, you know, awkward inappropriate jokes and I get it. You know, I was in college once, I had an inappropriate sense of humor, maybe it hasn't changed, but your audience is actually the world. It's alumni, it's other coaches, it's the media, it's future employers and they don't have your same sense of humor. Even if they do, they're viewing you now in a professional sense. They're judging you uh, on, on your hireability, so to speak. And <clears throat> so the the big thing we talk about I think this is, this matters for everyone. It's not just a student athlete thing. Um, we talk about this idea of building your core and, and that's a foundation of your, of who your identity is. What do you want to be known for? And so for me, like when I first got on social media and Twitter specifically, uh, I was, I was so quickly addicted to it. I loved it. I loved the access that it gave me to all these celebrities and athletes and, and what was happening in the world. But I was just an absolute moron. Like I had no point in what I was doing. I would tweet about anything and everything And nobody cared about what I had to say. And they shouldn't have because I was, it was all noise, zero value. And once I decided, okay, what do I want to actually be about? And it's, and what we tell student athletes and other leaders is, is come up with like three to four, what we would call core words. And almost everything you do on social media is filtered through those four words. Uh, And they can change because if you're 18, your core is different than when you're a graduating senior, right? You've changed, you've grown, you have different passions and interests. And so that's a conversation you're having with yourself. Often. But so for me, like my, my core words are social media and sports, social media and athletes, business leadership and coffee. Cause I have a slight addiction, but those are mainly the things that I post about on, on Twitter specifically Instagram. I'll add a little bit more family stuff um, than I do on Twitter, but that's why I'm on Twitter. Those are the things that I tweet about every now and then I might get off topic, but I, those are the lanes that I'm in. Uh, and so that now when people see a tweet from me, they know what it's going to be about. It's going to be about one of those four things pretty consistently that's that's what it is. And so that if you if you have a why, then that, that eliminates all the other noise that you're gonna put online. Let's say for example, faith is part of my core. If I hit send on this, does it build up or tear down my identity as a person of faith? If leadership is part of my core and I hit send on this, does this build up or tear down my reputation as someone as a leader as someone who 's interested in leadership and interested in building leaders it 's an easy way to eliminate some of the mistakes that people are going to make because you start to, to focus on what you 're posting as opposed to what you shouldn 't post but you start to build this this brand around around your passions and your interests and then you build community right, so for us with social media and sports, so we have the, the hashtag sm sports community. And it's people who work in social media and sports, people who are just interested in social media and sports, people who just work in college sports or pro sports. And it's just a fascinating community. And we all found each other, A, because of the hashtag, but because we're posting about these things that we're passionate about, that's part of our identity, that's part of our personal brand. It doesn't, it doesn't all be self-serving. And I think your mindset can't be, hey, look at me and how great I am. And I, I have fully been that person. Like I was, for a while on Twitter, I was immature I was prideful. Now, I just love to argue with people, show how smart I thought I was, and I was an idiot and, and uh, certainly had to apologize to some people um, for just being being overly prideful. But if you can shift and say, I think I have value to add to people, uh, not in a prideful way, but I think I, I think I've know things, I've done things uh, that I think people could use, which is the, also the beauty of Twitter specifically, is that people are sharing what they're working on and what they've learned, what they've done. So then an SID across the country or someone working in development on this side of the country, man, that's a really good idea. Maybe we should have a conversation about how that could potentially work for our work for our program, but also saying, I, I think I have something of value to add, but I know there's a lot that I can learn. How can I just be a part of the conversation in a valuable way without saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. Cause we, nobody wants to be that person. Nobody, nobody wants to be around that person. So we certainly don't want to be that person. Yeah. And it's
1: tough because I think social media is geared towards this kind of I don't know, um, overshare mentality, or just it's it's naturally kind of self serving, it's self promotion in, in a lot of ways. It's, hey, I had this great dinner, so I'm tweeting a picture of the food, or I'm on this great vacation, or, you know, I've got these great seats at the game. And I think, you know, it is sometimes hard to avoid, and we probably all made posts where we think somebody else throwing their eyes with the wow, that was self serving or self promoting or whatever. And I think, I think you hit on an unbelievable idea of that core of having three or four things to that you want to be known for. Um, I think I, I had subconsciously done that. Um, I want to be technology. I want to be college sports. Um, I, I want leadership stuff and philosophy, um, as well, but you know, does, does the stuff I'm posting come through a lens, um, of that, I think is enormously, uh, important and a great thing and probably something that anyone listening should just jot down now, hey, what do you want to be known for? And it'll, it'll remove some of the spam. It'll probably improve your posting. It'll improve your, the impression that you're giving. Um, I think it's a tremendous idea.
0: And again, that's going to shift, right? Because you, you may, you're just going to grow our personal interests change. We may change industries. Um, but I think this also allows us to add value to the organizations we work for. But I think when you use social media, kind of an industry expert, I kind of hate that term, but you shine a light back on the place that you work and the department that you work in. And so that allows you to speak at, at events like NACTA and other industry events. Um, and when they, when they introduce you, it's not yourself. It's you who's the SID at this school or the AD at this school. Uh, and so it shines a positive light back on, on your workplace. And it highlights the positive work that you're doing, the impactful work that you're doing. And so I think there, there's a, a, an opportunity to, again, not just build your own brand, but to highlight the people around you, the campus that you're on. And that's one of the things I love about College college Athletics and College Athletics Twitter is that it's just this, such a wide range of people from athletics of every level, from campuses of, of every shape, size, um, resource level, sharing what they've learned, sharing what they know, learning from each other. Um, but I get to find out about so many different programs I never even knew existed because of these people using social media well and using it intentionally. Again, not just to say, look how great I am, but look at the work that our Basketball teams doing, or look at the work that our marketing team did, if employers understand it it 's just a way to increase brand awareness um, and we we should be about furthering the name uh, of our institutions of our organizations, and this is such an easy way to do that maybe that 's through a social media accounts, maybe it 's through you know some people have podcasts in the industry, maybe it 's through a blog, whatever it may be, just a way to tell your story and the story of the people that you 're working with um, can a, a simple thing, and it 's not for everyone, so part of the conversation. You know, when I'm on campus, I, I think everyone should use social media, but I don't think they should if they don't want to do it well. And so that's a huge thing is, you know, when I'm on, on campus talking with administrators, like, I just don't want to do this. I don't see it as valuable. And I can argue with them time blue in the face, but I can't make them understand its value and believe that it's valuable, but I don't want them to be on it just for the sake of, of being on it. So if you're not going to do it well, and that doesn't mean have 20,000 followers, like I'm not concerned about number of followers that an AD has or a coach, whatever it may be, but if you're not going to do it purposefully, then don't do it at all, you know, have an account and never tweet, right? Just use it to consume news. But if you're not going to use it with purpose, then then I would rather someone just not use it.
1: Yeah, we hate the
0: uh, the coach who has
1: his SID do his personal Twitter handle and all, and it's it's just a hard follow, and it's not that good. And I, I've known some people who are relatively big names who have, like, an account that nobody would ever recognize them as, so they'd be consuming content. And I'll get a text from them every once in a while of, hey, I liked your tweet on this, and I'll have no idea what their handle is. Um, and they just do it to consume because they know there's value there, but they're not going to maybe they're, they're in a position where it just doesn't make as much sense to, to have an active handle or they know they're not going to do it well. There's certainly ways to do that. And I think I think understanding what you're going to do and what you're going to do well is, is obviously the point. But employers should understand that this is a, is a way that their organization can be reflected well. You know, if you trust somebody enough to, to bring them into your organization and put them on the payroll and, and give them the keys to the building. You know, I would hope you could trust them to be, to be intelligent on, uh, on social media and help you build your brand. I agree. It can, it can improve your reputation. It can improve your, your standing and uh, it hopefully uh, they can do it the right way.
0: I think it's also a big thing like for crisis management. At some point crisis will hit an organization, a department, whatever level of crisis that may be. But if we know your people, because they've been active on social media. They've, they've been building that brand, building a positive image of that brand, of the people working in that, in that department. Now you have a group of advocates. You say, wait, wait, no, I, I know this person. I, I trust them. The truth will come, you know, whatever it may be. But now you have these advocates who will help you fight that message, who will fight the negativity. Uh, and we, we've had a number of departments that we've worked with where that has been the case, where things have come out that have been really negative, but they've been really intentional, not just on their on their official uh, department social media channels but they're people using social media sids and the ad and marketing compliance everyone and just being really intentional and engaging with fans consistently on social media which is such a new thing and some people that just terrifies them but you can build such a great relationship with with fan. like social media the, the most impactful thing you can do is, is building relationships as a brand or as an individual and all hype videos cool graphics awesome bring it all day long but you'll never have as much impact as simply replying to a fan. And if you do that consistently, you're building relationships with these fans through social. Now you have advocates to defend you, to help you fight during during a crisis. And it's just by being present. That doesn't mean, obviously, being on social media eight hours a day. Uh, it just means being being active, being present every now and then and building building relationships we could probably talk about this for 20 podcast episodes and still have plenty of content. So it's a space that we both live in and work in and are, are passionate about. So it's always fun to discuss social media, and we'll, we'll discuss it on, on future podcast episodes for sure. Uh, but we'll go ahead and wrap it up there. And, and Mark, you know, we, we mentioned last time we want to start ending these episodes with, with a takeaway, a thought of the day, book suggestion, kind of something that our, that our listeners can take away. Uh, and so I'll let you go ahead and, and roll with that.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, my one thing for this week would be, um, a documentary that, uh, that I've watched and I've, uh, been happy to see it it's kind of show up in my Twitter feed, um, of a lot of people I know and, and enjoy interacting with watching. And it's called minimalism, a documentary about the important things. Um, it's now on Netflix. Um, it's by, uh, two bloggers. that go by the minimalists. Uh, I've read their book. Uh, they have a few out, they have a great blog as well. Um, and it's, it's about, Simplifying things in your life it 's not just about having less things, so I certainly think um, there 's enormous value in having less frankly, since i uh, left my last job i 've probably gotten rid of seventy five percent of my physical possessions um, and i 'm really enjoying that really. Feel better about everything, but it's also about rethinking your relationship with things. Um, and especially, this is is good to think about after we get through Thanksgiving and Christmas, two holidays that, that should be based on gratitude that have turned into these kind of public frenzy shopping days. You know, the day after Christmas and the day after Thanksgiving brawls and fights and things like that about cheap TVs and a lot of these things, you know, you realize they won't make you happy necessarily. You have to have that internally. And I think this is a good, um, uh, not everybody's going to sell 95% of their things and live in tiny houses, but I think the documentary is an inter- interesting look at a way of life that I think there's a lot of value in. So I would suggest people kind of check that out. It's, uh, you can find more about it on minimalismfilm.com or the minimalists.com And again, that documentary is on Netflix. So that's it for today. Uh, thanks again for listening. Uh, for Kevin DeShazo and Mark Hodgkin, if you're finding value in this, we uh, would really appreciate you sharing it with your friends, colleagues, uh, co-workers, and also considering subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, leaving us some some comments, uh, some reviews. Um, we read all of them. We listen to them. Um, please send us a tweet uh, at Kevin DeShazo and at mark underscore Hodgkin. Thank you for listening. I look forward to continuing the conversation and talking to you soon. Have a great week.